I'm Mason Toy, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and here I sit once again with Callum Williams. I, for one, am brimming with anticipation at the prospect of getting back into Allianz Field for the team's home opener on March 15th against Red Bulls in a few weeks. Given the recent snow melt we've seen on the pitch, there is a great video on social media today showing that the snow has all gone off the pitch. I, I think they, you know, they're going to start caring for the grass pretty soon, which is really exciting. But uh, before we get into what's coming this week, I wanted to let everyone know that there are job opportunities at Allianz Field this summer. Delaware North, uh, who are the official food and beverage provider of Minnesota United, wants anyone 16 years or older to come to its upcoming hiring event. It will take place on Tuesday, March 3rd, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the Brew Hall on the stadium's north side. It's a great chance to see all the stadium has to offer. I mean, the job is a great chance. <laughs> the Brew Hall is just the Brew Hall, but the job is a great chance to see all the stadium has to offer in all of its spaces and to get paid to do it. Delaware North offers free meals, flexible scheduling, competitive wages, and opportunities for advancement. You can head to dnsstpaul.com right now to learn more about these exciting opportunities and set up interviews as well. Again, that's dnsstpaul.com. Uh, Cal, did you see the video of the grass? Uh, I did, yes. It's, it's kind of fun, isn't it? It's green, <laughs> and it's really exciting because yeah. it makes it even more real now. I, uh, again, I lean a lot on my experience from, from the NBA, but uh, I, I get f- further and further away from it, obviously. But it's exciting for basketball to come back because you haven't seen it for a while. But there is something about the way that the return of soccer augurs the return of spring and the association of being on grass and, and, and being outside in that, that just the air, (laughs) (laughs) which, (laughs) which we have not been so much. It's been getting nicer, but it's, we've had some bone chilling cold. So uh, it's both exciting to return to soccer and uh, to feel the excitement of spring. It is the absolute proof that there is life after winter, uh, which let's be honest, particularly here in the twin cities, we've wandered for some time. Um, if there is any sort of sign of life, because it's been another long winter. Um, People told me the other day, or several people told me the other day, um, oh, it's been a little bit of a mild winter, hasn't it? And I wanted to firmly thrust their head through a window and say, no, it's not. It's been terrible. But, um, you know, we we get through it. And, um, you know, here we are. I do. I I mean, I'm kind of one of those people who's like, it hasn't been... That bad of a Give me your head right now. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I, so I always think back to the year that uh, my oldest daughter was born. Um, Her birthday just passed. It was February 24th. On February 24th, we had like snow flurries that year. And uh, it was in the morning. We were driving to the hospital. We were like, there's going to be a snowstorm. It's going to be terrible. But it wasn't. It was okay. And then that was the last like cold weather we had. By St. Patrick's Day, it was like, 85 degrees. It was like a huge, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was nuts. We were, we were down in St. Peter and there was a St. Patrick's day parade that we walked in with our child in a stroller 
And I was worried that she was going to overheat because it was so hot out. Um, it was really weird, but that was the last snow we got. And then, you know, th that memory always makes me think now when I look around and it was like, it was a nice day the other day. I took the dog for a long walk. You know, there's like snow melt and a little treacherous in spots and a lot of water, but it's like, I was like, this is nice. I was just wearing sort of like a light jacket. I was like, it's over. It's not over. No. Like it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> we're really far from over March and April. We get the most snow. So I'm trying to remember it's still, it's still coming. There's going to be a second helping um, of, uh, of of carnage, isn't there? Yeah. And um, we just have to prepare ourselves for it. The, the one intriguing thing um, for me, Steve, that I'm really interested to see moving forward is how our grounds crew cope with that because yeah. we have several home games in March and April. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see. You know, last year we obviously started the first five games on the road because the stadium wasn't ready. Um, it also was a little bit of a blessing because the team did well. Um picking up some some really valuable points in that period, but but also it was really, really cold in the Twin Cities as well. Yeah, so um, yeah. I'm interested to see how it goes this year. It's going to be a real mixed bag, I'm sure, in March and April of, you know, some games that are beautiful and feel great and some games that are a little chilly. Mm. You know, like there's even, I mean, we think of the snow opener. We think of, you know, those moments. You think of um, the 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 inaugural home opener at Allianz field where they had to sort of, they had to shovel snow off of the pitch and it was sort of piled up along the, along the sides. But there were also games. I remember T that there was a game of TCF against Atlanta. That was just deathly cold. Yes. And Atlanta responded by lying down on the pitch for most of the game. Um, but you know, like there's just, so it can be cold without it being a blizzard or dramatic. It can just be cold and unpleasant or, in some ways worse, wet and unpleasant, you know, like we might get a couple, I mean, we think about the snow games and then we think about nice games, but like we could get one of those like 40 degree rainy games. That could be real brutal. I don't mind those, um, 40 degree rainy games, Steve, because I'm from England and I'm used to crap weather. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but it's, it's when it's, when it's <laughs> treacherously cold and, and to the point where as you, you use the right terminology where it's bone chilling. You can feel the, the cold in your bones and it's, it's just a bit too much in my opinion then. And, um, uh, but you know, having said that, then, you know, you, from the commentary position, you, you peer down to the right hand side over at the wonder wall and you, you see some poor soul waving yeah. their, waving their <laughs> shirts over their head and they're shirtless, you know, and right. it's just, you know, I, I, I don't know how people do it, yeah. um, in that particular situation, but, um, you just get used to it. Don't you, if you, you prepare, you warm up, you know, I've invested in some, some rather um, snuggly long johns, yeah, uh, which I can't wait to try out. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things when you live here in the Twin Cities, you just have to deal with it. Yeah, I was I was up north recently uh, with my family. We went to a family camp uh, on the North Shore off of the Gunflint Trail, uh, where we were, you know, snowshoeing, dog sledding. Uh, I, th I think we talked. Did we talk about it in a podcast? I can't remember now. A little. Uh, I saw because you Instagram. were off to Portland. Okay, yes. yeah. So. Uh, and I got for that some hiking pants that I had ordered uh, that are like, you know, waterproof and sort of uh, fuzzy on the inside. And I wore those the whole weekend, uh, not even with long johns. And they were great. So anybody who's going to be out there in the stands, I would advise. And they're kind of like sweatpants, but they also, you know, do a little more for you than sweatpants. So, mm. you know, I don't have a brand name to, to flog here or anything like that. But just look for some hiking pants. It could be good if you're out there in the stands in these, these upcoming home games. You wore them the whole week. I mean, it was like four days. There weren't any showers. Smell must have been I have, fabulous. You know, they kept the smell in. Also, I, 
<laughs> well, she couldn't shower either. So we were, everybody was, we just stayed away from each other. Uh, uh, you know, we were, enjoyed our time together, but like maybe keep two or three feet between each other by that last day. So, so. it was a real family bonding experience. Yeah, no, it was saying. great. It was fantastic. I highly recommend it. It was a Camp Minogian. It's a YMCA camp. It was, uh, they do, they do different camp programs. This was um, like a President's Day weekend family camp with, it was just fantastic. It was amazing to be out there. My, I, with my <laughs> four-year-old, we, we snowshoed out to the middle of a frozen lake. There was a little island called Mouse Island. And she was really, it, she was pretty happy about it. I mean, she felt like it was tough, but we got out there. And it was like, if you stop talking, there was just dead silence. It was like nothing. You could hear nothing. It was kind of amazing. So uh, it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Where was this? Because that sounds heavenly. It was up the Gunflint Trail. So the camp is called Minogin. And it's like, if you go up to the North Shore, you get to Grand Marais. There's the Gunflint Trail. And you go up the Gunflint Trail. There's, uh, you know, so you've sort of been going um, east, uh, northeast, essentially, to get up to Grand Marais along the north shore of Lake Superior. Then you head sort of north from Grand Marais, and then you curve back northwest, and the, it goes into the Boundary Waters. So this was sort of at the, the the start of the Boundary Waters. But there's a lot of, as you're going up the Gunflint Trail, there's a lot of roads that go off the sides, and there's like there's a clear water cat, there's a clear water cabin area that we we've stayed at before. There's the Trail Center. There's there's Minogin. So it's sort of yeah, it's super remote. We had to like hike across a frozen lake at, at about seven o'clock at night when we got in, it was like pitch black and it felt like I was walking through the underworld. It was, it was kind of amazing. So, uh, you know, you just, you give up on all your conveniences and your, your Wi-Fi and your connectivity and you don't look at Twitter or Instagram or any of that stuff and you just have a good time. And I really liked it. So I recommend it to everybody. Let's talk about music. Um, because the, because MLS released a new MLS anthem, uh, today, composed by Hans Zimmer, uh, who you may know from such films as movies that he's scored. I can't, I don't know which ones. He, he's scored like every, anything that John Williams didn't do, Hans Zimmer's done, basically. So, um, but I want to I wanna sort of A-B with the old anthem, uh, which is played before every game. So we're going to get a little taste of the MLS Processional Anthem video that was uh, from 2007. So it's, it's getting on there. Uh, so let's listen to a little snippet of, or maybe all of, I don't know, we'll see. Let's see how it goes. Here's the old MLS anthem. I feel like I should like VO this, like with some kind of soccer, <laughs> the world's game. No, anyways. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's this is a, a taste of the old processional anthem. Um, I'm gonna fade that out, and then we'll go to the new one. Uh, this is the Hans Zimmer uh, new version here. It's extremely ominous. If I could freestyle, I'd just start. I'd just go to it right now. But I, I agree. It gives you the opportunity to execute a very good uh, head bop, doesn't it? Yeah, I, it, <laughs> I've got I've got it going on right now. It's not. We're gonna. There's only 20 seconds left. Listen to the whole thing.
<laughs> it's got that inception feel. I like that. Um, your first impressions. First of all, it, it, your feelings about the old anthem. Old anthem was a classic. It was one that I was very familiar with for a long, long time. My, my issue with it was that, you know, we especially um, when we're fortunate enough to have the production stuff that we do here at Minnesota United and, and for many of them that work over at Allianz Field, you know, they, they do such a great job of hyping up the game and building up the excitement. And then it felt as though this song, it, it just almost sucked a lot of the energy out of it because it's much slower, much more mellow. And, uh, you know, I did wonder if the league were going to change it at some stage. So it yeah. doesn't mean I wasn't a fan. I just don't think it, it fit in with, with the game um, game script. And um, it, I, it just always, as I said, it always left me wanting a little bit more. Yeah, it feels a little as though it felt like a holdover, you know, like a, a sort of, a, I remember hearing it. Uh, the first season uh, in MLS, which is my first experience of hearing it, and just sort of immediately thinking like, well, this sounds something, this sounds like something that's not in step with what MLS is trying to become or what it wants to be. Very outdated. It, yeah, you know, it's just, and obviously this is the, I mean, it's sort of part of the beauty of a, of, of a league trying to find its way in a sport that is has is rich with tradition and what traditions you try to grab onto and which traditions arise organically that you try to try to foster and then or what traditions do you just you need something and you go for something and then either it sticks or it doesn't and it sort of feels sort of feels like it was trying to nod to like the olympics and nod to sort of like a, a sort of classical ideal of sporting competition and a sort of uh you know greek tradition of sort of, uh, you know, like it had this sort of swooping, like, uh, like orchestral march feel to it. But then mm -hmm. like, when you think about the way the MLS, the MLS, I just said it, you think about the way that MLS is, is, is branding itself as a youth league, as you know, trying to, you know, have traditions along the lines of, of supporters culture that comes from other leagues, but to have its own spin on it. This new anthem feels a lot more in line with that. I don't know how it's going to age. Like I guarantee you if this in 13 years, this one's not going to sound right. Either. Sure, sure. Um, you know, cause it is very much of the moment. It sort of feels like a soundtrack from a current film. It's got a lot of the dubstep, yeah. like a lot of that. And, and the sort of, you know, the rising strings, but it does have a beat, you know, it's sort of, I feel like it's going to fit better into the, the pregame sort of ceremony stuff they do now. Yeah, I think instantly when I heard it earlier today, straight away my thoughts were, and you mentioned all, all the, the different sounds that are very, very modern. Um, I thought to myself, this gives plenty of people an opportunity, in-house, in-stadium people, an opportunity to perhaps play with the lighting and to perhaps, um, you know, give it that events and that show-type feel um, with with something that's not ours, it, it's the MLS anthem, you know, and, and um, I, I like it a lot. I think, as I said, my, my biggest issue with the previous one was that it, it did suck the momentum out of, of what was built. I think this, if anything, I, I think it, it continues to build it. Yeah. Um, like, imagine the players walking out to that music and there's a yeah. full stadium, you know, and as I said, imagine an Allianz field, uh, our fabulous guys up in the corner who... who run all the lighting and, and the video boards. You can imagine them doing something, you know, and, and, and to make it a real spectacle yeah. with that music, you know? So yeah. um, I think what's happened now is it's, it's this anthem has given every MLS team some ammunition to try something inside their own arenas. Um, and, and it's, um, 
It's a very uplifting beat, um, almost inspirational, many would perhaps argue. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it a lot, Steve, and, and, and I think it's going to, as I said, if anything, it's going to grow the momentum that's already built into to the pregame show. Yeah, I think it's got, it, you know, it sort of reflects the the sort of sound that a lot of teams use in their stadiums for their hype videos and for things like that. And so it falls into line with that. Again, it's one of those things you probably have to revisit it in five or 10 years to sort of, you know, maybe you keep some of the themes, but maybe the approach is different depending on how things go. But, but yeah, I think if you look at the entire, you know, people are looking more and more teams are looking more and more holistically at the stadium experience, right? There's organic elements to it, but how do you, how do you grab onto some of those organic elements and just, you know, foreground them? And a lot of that comes through music. And it's, you know, it's a thing that, you know, I've had some discussions with people talking about like the music in the stadium and like how it works. And there's sort of the gates open and there's music. That's a variety of things for a variety of different people. You know, you're getting settled in the music isn't really the focus, but it's sort of setting a tone. You sort of looking for a certain BPM, a certain, you know, feel that's, you know, not slow, but it's maybe a little casual. And then as warmups happen, it's like, you kind of goose it a little bit. It's a little more energetic. Like when the players come out, there's sort of, you know, songs that they, that when the team came out last year, they come out to a shredders track, which is a local hip hop band. And, uh, I guess I just said hip hop band. I feel like the oldest person on the face <laughs> of the planet, uh, you know, by <laughs> shredders is the group part of doom tree. They're good guys. Uh, anyway, so they would come out, it's players would come out to that and that sort of got the hype rolling a little bit. And then you would have, um, you know, then yes, the MLS anthem would start and it would sort of slow things down. And this feels like it's going to build more naturally. You have that little pause and then you hit that anthem and it's going to be, it's going to be big. Um, and I think, it, I think it'll be a good table setter for, for the presentation of the whole game. Yeah. Love the energy behind it and uh, excited to hear it for sure. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. This is opening week. Here we are. It is, yeah. It's it's maybe the point at which we know the least and want to know the most. <laughs> I found I found myself as I'm prepping for this. I feel like we've we've talked around a lot of things. We've talked about different elements. We've had a series of, uh, you know, we've been putting out uh, loon dives with different players, getting to know them. You did the, this fantastic roundtable with the coaches, but it's still like right now. There's just so much talk, and I kind of want the talk to stop. And yet yeah. here we are on a podcast, and all we can do is talk about it. So uh, let's talk about a couple key things heading into the you know the start of the season. And maybe some expectations for the season as a whole things we can listen back to and say, man, we were wrong about that. <laughs> um, but let's begin with a thing that I think is, is underrated, uh, is health, uh, or, or not underrated, but under considered, because I think as you look at teams, uh, who have good seasons, bad seasons, uh, it, people try to attribute it to their acquisitions, their failure to get this guy, their formation. And sometimes it's just like they weren't healthy. You look at Toronto's sort of face plant two years ago, cause they were playing, you know, outside of league games and it was, they were exhausted, you know, yep. like it. So the thing that's good about the squad this year is that basically everybody's healthy as much as we know, you know, obviously guys are always still working their way into shape. You know, you don't really see full match fitness, for a couple of weeks, but there's no, ma- there's been no major injuries in preseason, which again, head coach Adrian Heath will bring it up a lot, but I just think it's worth mentioning like how important that is. You need to be available to be selected in the starting 11. Yeah. There's two guys in particular that I think we're all aware of that, that will have to have their minutes managed this year. And that's Psycho Para and Ozzy Alonso. And I remember saying um, on the commentary during um, the, the Portland preseason tournament that I, I 
spoke to both of them. I, I know that they wanted to play more preseason minutes. Um, I think Ozzy Alonso in particular as well. You know, he had a, a family issue to go on and deal with, and which meant a little disruption in his preseason. And um, you know, I, I know they both wanted to play more football for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on the other side of that, you've got to think that you know the likes of, of Opara and Alonso in particular they played a lot last year. Uh, particularly Alonso played a lot more than people thought he would as well. Um, you know, Michael Opara now he's thirty one. Um, Michael Boxall is also 31. This is a player that, that seems to dodge this conversation as well. Um, these are all players that, that are in pristine shape. There's nothing wrong with their body shape. I'm, I don't know what their body fat is, but I can't imagine it's very high at all. So they, they look it's fabulous. Crap ton lower than mine. Yeah. <laughs> they look great. Um, but it's a different type of fitness. Yeah. And you, you have to manage minutes. You have to manage your body when you're that age. Um, I don't know what it's like in other sports, Steve, but I know in, in this sport, you know, it's it, it it can be a lot, especially when, when you've got the other tournaments, like you mentioned as well. You know, mm-hmm. that if Minnesota United do well um, in the other tournaments this year, the Open Cup and the League Cup, you know, there's potential of upwards of 40-plus of games, you know, and, and, you know, then into the playoffs, you know. I mean, it's um, you, you have to be very careful. So I... I would expect um I would expect Alonso and, and Opara and Boxall to to start because that that trio there, it's almost a little miniature diamond um mm-hmm. for Minnesota. Um it's uh it, it's as important as it's ever been again this season. But the question is, can it stay fit? Can it stay healthy? Um and if it does, then I think Minnesota United will be in good shape. But they you know, don't be surprised when, when we have these Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday games. Yeah. Um, that that we see those players that I mentioned given given a rest. Yeah, and that, that sort of feeds into the second thing I want to talk about, which is depth in the squad. And I think that as we look at, um, I think as you look over the course of the season, you know, there's a way that the team wants to play. Um, there's you know the the four two three one formation uh, with you know sort of. I think Jeff Reuter had a, a piece this morning on the athletics sort of looking at, you know, what the projected lineup is. And somebody commented like, this has got to be the easiest lineup to project since MNUFC has been in MLS. And I would agree with that. I mean, I think we know basically who the 11 are going to be yeah. so long as there's not something that happens this week that, that makes forces, forces Adrian's hand. Um, but given that we also saw the importance last season of the ability to flex into a three, five, two, a five, three, two, like they experimented some of the four, three, three, which again, we said last year, you know, mixed results on that. Occasionally it worked out really well. I think that the depth the squad has acquired should help them, you know, weather those, those extra, those outside of MLS, you know, games, but also allow them just more flexibility within MLS games to do different things. Sometimes you're going to have to adjust what you do. You're going to want a different look. And I was, you know, I was sort of looking at the, some of the depth guys and comparing to last year. And I feel like if you look at Raheem Edwards, Marlon Harrison, James Musa, Ja'Cory Hayes, sort of those guys who are utility guys. They can play multiple positions, sort of midfield to, you know, maybe some fullback, maybe James Musa could maybe put a spell in at center back. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them can go up as far as attacking midfield across. That's a big step up. I think in terms of depth, youth and potential from, I mean, as much as I love Lawrence Olam and he was great, I think in a lot in a, an unheralded player last mm-hmm. year, Lawrence Olam, Colin Martin, Rasmus Schuler. you know, Schuler is 28. Colin was sort of the young kid. He was 25. 
Uh, Lowe was 35, right? All those guys except for James Moose are, are under 26, and Moose is 27. So I, I just feel like you've got a more robust set of options to sort of add depth in that midfield area or throw in extra guys who can play sort of fullback wingback roles. We saw Raheem Edwards ability to attack in the preseason uh, to play like a, a definitely a, a really forward oriented left uh, wingback sort of role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel like that depth overall has, has gotten a lot better. Yeah. It's, it's the obvious thing right now, isn't it? To talk about, in terms of the off-season for Minnesota, is that the, the depth is about as good as it's ever been. And and I say this with all due respect, but imagine if Minnesota would have signed Martin Hairston, Ja'Cory Hayes, um, Raheem Edwards, uh, maybe James Musa. I, I think those type of players would have gone into the eleven straight away. Now the question is, is you know, you would assume so, but not all the time are they going to be in the 18, you know? It's yeah. the, the, and, and as I said, that's no disrespect to them as players, but... I think um, the, this roster has has been added to very, very well indeed. Um, Raheem Edwards for me was a steal as well. Yeah, that that was an. I, when I first heard about the trade, my jaw dropped, and 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 I had to text back the person I got it from, saying, "Are you sure you've got that right? Are, are there any other incentives or any? Because that that's I liked Wyatt Olmsberg as a centre back. Yeah, but to get in somebody like Raheem Edwards." who I thought was tremendous in his first year with Toronto FC. Um, you know, he, he had a bit of misfortune in Chicago with a few injuries, but um, I, I thought as a squad player, I thought that is a tremendous piece of business, you know? And for, for me right now, Steve, Raheem Edwards, and of course it depends on the situation, but Raheem Edwards is one of the first, if not, I would say he's either one or two off the bench straight yeah. away because he, he, he gives you a different dimension. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I could certainly see him coming on for Robin Lurd from time to time, you know, and, and, and I think he makes us very, very different. Um, Aaron Schoenfeld is another one as well who, who's come in and yep. gives Minnesota a, a new way of playing, you know, and, and I remember the the second game of the Portland tournament where Adrian opted to try out a 4-4-2 and um, it, looked, it looked good. It needs work, you know, particularly Mason struggled to play off of the big man. But um, if you give it time, it certainly gives Minnesota a another option of, of um, another way of playing. And I don't think we've, we've had that. We, we've been almost quite predictable the last couple of years, you know, yeah. and, and, and yeah. now I think Minnesota still have, they still have the element of, of predictability about them because everyone knows what they're going to do because it's Adrian's side. Mm-hmm. But as Sean McCauley said during our, our coaches roundtable, as you mentioned, when he was the assistant at Orlando, he said he knew what they were going to do that you couldn't stop them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and now with a roster even better. Yeah. Again, that's going to be under consideration by a lot of coaches in Major League Soccer. Yeah, Schoenfeld is another guy I wanted to bring up because I think he's he's one of those good additions because you have to understand that when you're adding players, there's you're never going to get the ideal state, you know, of a team. You're going to always going to have I mean maybe sometimes you do. But you have to be prepared for that not to be the uh, you know the state. And I think that Schoenfeld speaks to that that ability to have different looks and that you say, you know, I think if you look at last year's team, um, you know, you would say it ended, the team ended up just crossing the ball in a lot without like a, a tremendous amount of creativity. Um, and hopefully that is not the case as much this, this season, you know, like the, that there's more creativity coming in zone 14, sort of in the middle of the field and things are, you know, there's creation being had there, but if the game comes down to lumping in cross after cross, after cross, 
but in Schoenfeld, he's six, four, you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's, you can change things up. You know, if you need, you have Amaria, you know, to start games and to be that, that poacher, that goal scorer who does all kinds of different things in the box, as Adrian has said many different times, you can also bring in Mason toy in the 70th minute to just mm-hmm. run him ragged, you know? So having different looks is absolutely essential. And I think as Schoenfeld speaks to that as well, I think also another thing to look for um, maybe a little bit, a storyline that's going a little bit unappreciated is like the expected improvement from a bunch of players who were either uh, didn't show that immediate um, immediate spark that we wanted or can get better simply by getting older. I think that um, Lud is obviously at the top of that list as a guy who I think never looked bad, but wasn't as productive as he himself wanted to be. The his standards, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the signs have been good in preseason that, you know, he will be a more productive player. He wants to be that player. Uh, he's, you know, I talked to him and, and his expectations are very high for himself, mm-hmm. but he's also a selfless guy. He's like, I want to create goals. I want, I certainly want to score more goals because I know it helps, but if somebody else scores the goal, I'm just as happy for them. I think he's a great guy for the team. And I think that he is, I think he's going to be better definitely than last season. I think Jan Gregor is actually going to be better. And that's crazy because he is actually quietly very, very good yes. and underappreciated. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was a little critical of him midway through last season and um, quite rightly so I thought at that time, but he certainly picked it up in, in the, the final third of the, of the season. And I think, um, you know, he ended up with, with 12 assists in the regular season, yeah. which was not bad at all for a central midfield. Most, and most of them in September, you know, yeah, like sort he, of down that stretch. So. He picked it up big time. Um, you know, I wonder now, um, with with Jan, um, obviously him and, and Alonso have, have forged a very good partnership. But I wonder now with, you know, Alonso, as you mentioned earlier on, potentially not playing as much as, uh, as, you, um, as you would imagine, this uh, this season, although I would not bet against him because uh, yeah. <laughs> of his attitude and uh, his approach, um, you're never going to be able to tell Ozzy not to play. No, like, no, you're not. Are you? He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if he if he can't or if he decides that this is this is in the best interest, then it may be then. But you're never going to be able to sit him down. <laughs> no, but I just wonder for, for Jan what what will happen now because um, if, for example, he plays alongside Hassani Dotson, they're both more than capable of of dropping and then pushing as as a number eight. But if if he if he comes in alongside someone like if someone comes in alongside him, I beg your pardon, like a Jacory Hayes or a James Musa, um, I I wonder, you know, will he be given that freedom that he was a little bit restricted to last season? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was my one complaint was that he, he didn't press fast enough, um, in my opinion. Sure. Um, so I, I wonder now if um, if if somebody again comes in that's as, as the the mindset of Ozzy Alonso and, and plays deeper. I wonder if he'll be given the chance to push forward. But also, if somebody like Asani Dodson comes in alongside him and wants to go and wants to press a little bit, I wonder if Jan will drop and play more of a deep-line playmaker role. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. The good thing is, Steve, is that we have all of these options. And, and yeah. you know, not too long ago, that wasn't the case. And yeah. speaking of not too long ago as well, I just want to try something out here, by the way. Okay. So, um, you, the listener, right, I want to know how many of you because we're starting this 2020 campaign at Portland Timbers, which let's all remember, it was where Minnesota United started their MLS lives in Portland Mm -hmm. in 2017. So you, the listener, I would like you to to pause this podcast um, once we're done explaining the situation here. Um, Don't cheat. Give yourself 10 minutes to think and think what was the starting 11 <laughs> for that Minnesota United side in 2017 
and what it'll be in 2020. So pause it now. Right, so hopefully you've given yourself a couple of minutes and you've had a, a good think about it. I, I've thought about it briefly. I think I can get it, Steve, but can you? Uh, I, I mean, I could do okay. Let's go through it. So okay. go, goalkeeper. Um, uh, was it Alburge? John Alburge, okay. yes. Alburge. And then back line from, from right to left. Oh, my God. Um, okay, JD was not starting. JD was starting. He was starting. Started okay, Justin back, Davis yes. started left back. Okay. Um, center back, Calvo. Yes. And um, Vadim Demidov. Correct. And right back was... Big Jamaican. Uh, oh, was it uh, Jerome? Uh, Jermaine Taylor. Jermaine Taylor, Jermaine yes. Taylor. Okay. Um, all right. Three, three, so this was a 4-3-3 three, three by A 4-3-3, three, three. okay. So three midfielders. Okay. Uh, Ibsen? No. Nope. He didn't start. That's right. He, I think he came on in that mm -hmm. game. Um, okay. <laughs> Who else played midfield? Rass? Yes, Rasmus. Okay. Yes. Because I remember he was a holdout for a long time as like mm -hmm. play was was still with the team. He was one of the only guys who was on that squad. Okay, Ras. Um man, I'm s i am <laughs> I'm stuck. Swedish, well, Swedish central midfielder. Was traded to Colorado midway through the first season. Um oh uh Mo. Mohammed Saeed, yes. Mo Saeed. Yes. Okay. Yes. Whew. Okay, there's an, and there's a third one? There's a third central midfielder. Uh, um, a little deeper lying than the other two that you mentioned. Uh, we really didn't have very many <laughs> defensive <laughs> deep line. I mean, maybe he was back there, but um, I don't know. Colin Warner. Colin Warner, the young boulder. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. I now playing Colin. in Denmark, by the way. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleased for him because yeah. I know he always wanted to play okay. Okay. foreign shores. All right, we're, we're up to the, 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 the top attack. three. Okay. So um, in no particular order. Okay. Um, did did Bash play? Bash Kim Kadri okay. was on the left hand side. Bash Kim yes, Kadri. Molino. Um, Molino was on the right hand side. Uh, now, uh, was it Venegas? It was Johan yeah! Venegas. <laughs> I was like, I know Christian came on late and scored, but yes, Johan <laughs> Venegas. Yeah, because I remember now, I knew Molino because I was like, he's the only one who's still here. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So well done to you at home Whew. if you got that, by the way. That's a tricky one, isn't it? But that's a tough. That's th tough. My, my point here is that, you know, we, we knew there was tremendous <laughs> turnover um, from 17 to 19. But if you look at it now, yeah. I mean, this squad is unrecognizable, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. That was a good, that was good. Good job. Good job, Cal. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, expectations for the season. We'll sort of close with just thinking about, I, I mean, I, I think it's always interesting to look back at, at teams and think about what you thought about them, then how they performed and whether they sort of overperformed or underperformed relative to your expectations and then relative to what you think you actually knew about the team at the end. Uh, I have maintained for a long time that despite how bad that first season went, the team outperformed their abilities. Absolutely, they did. Yeah. Um, I think in the second season, which looked a lot like the first season, that was about the level of that squad. So they didn't successfully outperform. That that was sort of the issue. Mm -hmm. um, before the 2019 season began, I think what I was thinking, and I could go back and listen, but I'm pretty sure that my opinion was a playoff berth, but not a home game, was sort of my reasonable expectation. Uh, sort of a, a five, six, seven seed. Um, so in that sense, the team exceeded my expectations. Um, 
MNUFC had a chance to get the second seed in the Western Conference within the last game of the, the, the year. I thought if they had that, they would have been playing a little over their heads um, to get that second seed. Now, obviously, once you got that second seed, you have a more favorable matchup. They might have gone you know further in the playoffs. But I think that where they ended up sort of at, in that fourth seed was reasonable to how the team was, given the inability to sort of score goals down the stretch, but you know defensively stalwart. I think for this for this year, I think a similar seed, but a win in the first round, it sort of be what I will, uh, is my expectation. Yeah, I mean, look, um, it, it's been well documented that Minnesota United are, are looking to add another body. Should um, should they be successful? For me, I would I would tip them as high as the competing with the top three. Yeah, I, I, because I think last year they Agreed. overachieved massively. Yes, finishing fourth in the West and to, to have the possibility of finishing second was out of this world with the roster that they had. And, and let's be honest, there wasn't a real natural threat up front yeah. um, for the, most of the season. Yeah. You know, Mason Toy had that one spell, but apart from that, there wasn't really a, a natural goal scorer. So um, to finish as high as they did was, was a fabulous season, um, and to, to finish fourth was was great. Um, but I think now. The expectation is obviously playoffs, and and that's it. You know, you this team has now become one of those teams where I think, you know, you talk to people around around the country, and everybody sees Minnesota at least for the most part as a playoff certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with this roster that they have now, I still think that's a fair statement to make. Yep. But if they add to it, and they add one more real significant piece. I, I honestly think I'm not going to suggest that they're going to go and compete for MLS Cup, uh, although in this league you just never know if you go into yeah. the playoffs with momentum. Yeah. Um, you, you have to be realistic about it, and you you think of what other teams like LAFC, Galaxy, the Sounders, uh, and many other teams, particularly in in what is a very stacked Western Conference this year. Um, I, I I have them in with that group that I just mentioned, though. I have Minnesota within that group. Um, where, again, uh, finishing fourth in the Western Conference is a tremendous season. Anything higher than that is absolutely supreme. Yeah. I think that I see them in that tier that is in the West that is like FC Dallas, um, maybe eh, depending, maybe Real Salt Lake. Um, it, they're going to be in again with that group that was sort of competing. We saw it last season. Like those, there were the, sort of those sequences of matches where they were playing. The Quakes, maybe, I think, also. The Quakes is going to – it'll be interesting this year to see because they sort of became darlings last year because of their unique, you know, Mm -hmm. approach, but then sort of faded down the stretch, possibly because of that, you know, what the demands of the man-marking scheme brought out in terms of how much energy they had to expend for every game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Quakes this season. But, you know, they they would play FC Dallas because they were right there in the table. They would play Mm -hmm. RSL, and they were right there in the table next to them. Play the Quakes right there. So I think they'll be – they're not going to be in that – um, LAFC, uh, I would expect Seattle as reigning champs again, up in that area, the galaxy, a little more volatile, but obviously Chicharito moves the needle hugely for them and Pavone, who I like, I forgot about in a oh, way. And then I was player. like, now we get a full season of him top with Chicharito. Player. So yeah. Um, but you know, there's some other elements, the, I'm sort of hoping for not such a deep U S open cup run personally. <laughs> uh, not, I think just because it's tough. I, like that run was amazing. And those games are amazing. And it was an incredible experience to be along for the ride for, but you saw what it took out of the team, you know, to be playing those extra games and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think that 
it just would help down the stretch to not have to like split your attention between those 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 two competitions, you know. I know what you're saying, but no, I want a trophy. I, okay, right, I want fine. a trophy. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, know? hey, all right. So <laughs> I feel you. But and also as well, going back to your Western Conference predictions there. Um, I, I actually think uh, this is the year where Dallas may very well slip out of the conversation. Okay. Uh, at least until the summer, because they have San Franco Jara uh, from Liga MX, who, who will be very good for them, but mm-hmm. um, uh, they may very well make a late surge. But I think at the start of the campaign, it might be difficult for them. Yeah. Real Salt Lake, under a rookie manager in Freddy Juarez, obviously they've sold Savarino um, down in uh, down to Brazil. Um uh, big question mark for me there. Yeah, I, I'm not at all convinced. Right, we'll see. I'll, I'll say, I'll say, that I think that right now they're in that conversation. Sort of what you're saying, the way they are now, the way Minnesota United is right now, probably. I mean, again, the best roster the team has had going into a season so far in MLS, but with room to improve. Um, still have a DP slot, yep. you know. So that's kind of one of those things that I'm like, if if that if that is that is filled by in the summer transfer window, you know, however they fill it, if it's, you know, if it's with a difference making attacker that that would push them up into the top of that echelon, I think with the possibility to move up into that top, top three, top four mm-hmm. um, without it. I still expect a, a playoff game, yeah, me you too. know, and I expect a win in that playoff game this season. Um, that's, you know, and there's also another thing, which maybe we can say for another time, we're already going over 40 minutes here, but um you know, the strength of schedule comes into it. We talked about this before when the schedule came out. Um, dodging a bullet in a lot of ways, not playing NYCFC, Philly, or Toronto, which were all, again, NYCFC had the top record in the East. Philadelphia was the only team that beat Minnesota United at Allianz Field in the regular season. Toronto was in the cup final, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're dodging those those three teams. So um, so it's a, it's a good year to feast, you know? Like, you got to take advantage of that stuff. It is, uh, and a lot of it's going to be at home as well. I mean, Allianz Field, as you mentioned, was a fortress last year uh it, it'll be even more so this year again you know although yeah, um, like, yeah. Like, like i think i might have brought this up before steve i can't remember but um my one concern i think with playing at allianz field now uh, because i've seen this happen before in this league people will come here teams will come here looking for a tie and be happy with a tie right so we'll see a lot of bunkering yeah. that would not surprise me at all um and that will lead to um Real frustration for Minnesota. Um, that'll lead to a, a you know a, perhaps a, a short temper or two. Um, so I can see a lot of one nils, one ones at Allianz Field this this coming season, and that's okay. I, I would just expect a lot of teams in the Western Conference to come to Allianz Field, and if you would offer them a point before the before the the whistle goes, that they would absolutely take it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that's not the case, but I've, I've seen this before, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think that the. Um we, we didn't see the change fully happen, but if you look at how Minnesota United started at Allianz Field last year and how sort of it was it was fine, but it was a little bit up and down for the first six games or so. Very open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once it's settled in, I mean, it was a fortress. And that I think that's where the, the attacking end is going to come. You know, if you have – if the attacking end looks better now um, then you and you're better at breaking those bunkers, <laughs> then then no problem, right? Yep. But, yeah, it is it, – it, it does become different when – you're no longer surprising teams. I mean, I think that was one of the things that led to the team overachieving in the first season, as I was saying that, you know, TCF was not a super desirable place for teams to come and play. And so we saw some, some star players take a pass, uh, uh, you know, like I think it was, P- was a Piotti who didn't travel with the impact when the impact got totally smashed at TCF, you know? So that sort of played into 
winning some of those home games uh, because teams came in expecting, well, it's not a great place to play and Minnesota United is not that good. We're not going to give a hundred percent. And then, you know, and then they didn't, and then we got some wins we shouldn't have gotten. So yeah, and it, it's just changed with Allianz Field now because the, the emphasis is on Minnesota United to go and play. They're the home team. The yeah. expectation is there. Um, but also what I will say with the approach that I've just said, I expect from many away teams when they come to Allianz Field this year, it's a tremendous credit to Minnesota United. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us for the 93rd Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United opens its season this weekend in Portland against the Timbers in a game that kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, that's on Sunday. Sorry, I left that out of the note here. But Sunday, March 1st at 6.30 p.m. Central Time on FS1 and Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.